So if you're any type of multifamily investor, active, passive, or if you're someone that's in the industry, again, that's why we do what we do every single week on The Gray Report, covering the multifamily industry, housing, commercial real estate, and the economy. So you can make the best and most well-informed decisions. Again, whether if you're an investor, you're an operator, or if you're someone that's working in the multifamily industry itself, things are moving so quick and we have to stay on top of it. By the time some folks in the industry learn about what's going on in the market, there's a completely new story and set of data that's moving the other direction. And it's important to have some context, aggregate it all, and try to analyze exactly where we are, where we've been, and what the future might hold. So again, exciting episode of The Great Report. We're covering not only how the collapse of some of these banks may be affecting the financial system, specifically the multifamily industry. We're also talking about inflation with the, the CPI report that just came out. We also have the producer price index um, that was just released yesterday. Um, we have a piece from RealPage um, looking at the spread between class A and B apartments then several articles on rank growth and other apartment KPIs. Um, the Midwest has been crushing other regions um, with several Midwest metros, Indianapolis, Cincinnati, Columbus, Kansas City, just to name a few, keep coming out on top. Um, and then finally, we have a piece from Apartment List um, looking at supply between the multifamily market as well as the single family market. Make sure you watch this whole episode to get all the pieces of information that you're going to need to make some really smart decisions. Make sure you're subscribed to the Great Capital YouTube channel. Leave a comment. If you have any questions, call us out for being wrong or right. And all right, let's get into it. All right, everybody, welcome back to The Gray Report. I'm joined again by Director of Communications and Marketing here at Great Capital, Dr. Matt Bosnagel. Matt, how are you doing this week? I'm doing pretty well. I've been scrambling and then just like, just hungry for news. It has been an exciting week for sure. It's been, it's been incredible. So last Thursday, Matt, we were taping the last episode of The Gray Report, just as all of this news about Silicon Valley Bank, um, Signature Bank, and a threat to the entire financial and banking system was starting to um, yeah. unfold. And I'm almost glad that we didn't uh, start mm -hmm. reporting on it then because there's so much that's happened and changed and things are, things are still happening. We don't know the full effect, yeah. um, but what, and I'm, I'm not a banking expert, you know? Um, and so a lot of this is just not necessarily new to me, but I have a, a maybe a surface level understanding of all the inner workings of the banking system and, you know, all the mechanics um, that make, you know, the, yeah. the economy run. Um, because like all the stuff that, that, that they were talking about, we, everyone, I think that's been listening to the Gray Report, we, it's the same vocabulary when it comes to like interest rates and expectations and, and all the trends that we were so closely watching. Finally, they're coming into play, just not in the multifamily market. Yes. Yeah, not in the multifamily. Ex exactly. But and dramatically, dramatically so. That, that Yeah. Must all, all I know, Matt, is when I see the president of the United States come out um, on Monday and before markets open, just before markets open, having to reassure the entire country that the banking sector is sound and, you know, the financial 
systems of the United States are going to work. And he has yeah. to repeat it three times. And then you have messages from banks, um, calls from bankers going out and saying that you know, the bank's not going to fail. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, that doesn't exactly instill confidence. And lack of confidence and sentiment and fear and panic is exactly what really caused this. And we can talk about, yeah. and, and I think we should, some of the underlying um, technical reasons why um, Silicon Valley, SVB, and Signature Bank, and most likely other banks and other mm-hmm. financial institutions yep. are in a tough spot relative to purchasing seemingly low risk um, bonds and you know, mortgage-backed securities. Um, but what the effect is of rates moving so quickly, so high, That's- so high that no one was really expecting. But so we can talk about those underlying reasons, but it's the psychology that's driving this run of pulling mm-hmm. money out that's much more powerful than the underlying yeah. underlying actual financial conditions. But the but I do that was something that you know the psychology adds is great drama especially when it you know when it comes to the recent uh bank failures, but um the whole atmosphere of higher interest rates is creating this vulnerability and it was almost like there was a vague expectation. We didn't know what specific sector where where it would hit. Um, yeah. But there, as long as it kept going higher and higher, there was a chance somewhere in the economy someone would have made a, a wrong bet. And this is an example of something that could be. You know, it may not be the specific type, types of uh, what was a ten year back mortgage or ten year mortgage backed securities that was uh, that was involved in the uh, in the Silicon Valley Bank. But there's, you know, there's other things that are linked to interest rates and it could be much more widespread, at least when we're talking about risk and vulnerability as interest rates go higher. Yeah, there's a lot, there's a lot of financial institutions and product that, you know, we're not anticipating the type of volatility um, that, that we've seen. And Matt, to your point, we've been talking about something breaking. We knew that mm-hmm. these ri- ri- rising rates we're going to put strain on the economy. That's the, that was the whole point. Um, yeah. And the idea was to kind of break the economy. Really, I mean, the true goal was to um, bring uh, the unemployment rate up. Um, I mean, that's been the, the challenge for inflation. Um, but they have certainly, the Federal Reserve has certainly broken something here. Not that Silicon Valley Bank and you know others didn't m- maybe make some wise investments and did diversify, which I, I don't think is, I think that is... Um, maybe not. I think yeah. it's part of the story, but I think it's you know what banks do with their um, deposits, mm-hmm. and is more of the story. And you know if you're if you were buying ten year treasuries a year ago, um, you were paying, uh, you know your your rate was one percent, you know, or, mm-hmm. or less. You know you're you know it was a fraction of what it is today, and yep. you know the price of those bonds are you know inversely related to. Um, yield and interest rates. So all of a sudden, you know, the 10 years at, well, it was at four, almost at 4% a week ago. Now it's at three and a half. And that's a whole other story in, in itself. But regardless, you know, that it's, it's significant devaluation of that um, investment. And so yeah. now they're still liquid. Um, and it's, it won't be necessarily a loss if they hold on for, to it for 10, you know, 10 years. And it was a 10 year bond, 10 year note. But I mean, They've got a ten-year investment that's yielding one percent. When right now they could go out in the market and get three and three and a half. And yeah, there's a I, ton of institutions that have a t- 
a ton of these no low risk investments on their books. That's that's why I, I and some people were like, well, they shouldn't have done that. <laughs> it's like, but like when they were buying all of these ten year bonds that would have later become hard to sell because they don't come less valuable and if unless you're intending to sell them and you need to sell them. But I mean, I, I guess they should have thought about a bank run scenario where they needed more liquidity. Um, that's like the bad bet that they made. But it also, and how I would characterize this, and, and I kind of link it to this search for distress in the multifamily market that hasn't really um, been as dramatic as we've seen in Silicon Valley Bank. But what they made a bet was that rates would be lower for longer, at least if they wanted to sell. Their safest um, stress test, I guess, would be that uh, would would be that rates were longer, and then they these ten year back more or ten year MBSs would be easier to buy and sell in in case of like a liquidity crunch. Um, but what happened instead was uh, maybe the worst case scenario. Well, it just no one thought that rates would have risen as high as they have. I mean. Um... That there certainly was a margin of error, but we've just kind of blown past their their normal models. So this all brings up the question, Matt: of is this, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're just getting into a year of since you know these interest rates have been um, started to to rise at the Fed funds rate and you know all all, all other um, all other types of interest rates. What is the next several things that we're going to see? And there's a sense that we're seeing all kind of things starting to bubble up. Um, mm-hmm. Just inside, you know, the multifamily industry, you know, we're hearing more and more stories of borrowers um, with their back more or less against the wall, or at least a sense that their back is kind of starting to go into the wall. Um, mm-hmm. In several of the reports we have today, um, I know in the Yardi Matrix report, um, they mentioned that you know there are already properties being handed, the keys are being handed back to lenders. Yeah, um, there are folks that are having to negotiate with their lenders right now. Um, people in, that are just burning, burning through cash. I mean, and, we and that's that's the thing that boggles my mind. Is we were talking about that. We've been talking about this like week after week. This very situation, and to see and to see it happen in another whole area of the economy was uh, was really surprising to me actually because I was expecting it so much. In this multifamily, and I didn't really realize. Well, yeah, I think that's, just, that's, that's, what, that's what we're really. focusing. Yeah, well, that's what I think that's what we're focusing on. But yeah. but no, I think it, it's a good point. And what where else in the economy? And it's the these black swans out there mm-hmm. that we're not really um, thinking of because we may not be aware of them. Um, you know, there are all of these you know large dark pools of money you know floating at, floating out there um, in these you know somewhat opaque um, you know financial products um, and. Very few people know how they work or that they even exist. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, there's a ton of lending that has you know moved away from the banks. Um, so there's mm-hmm. a lot of exposure, you know, outside of the banking um, industry to a lot of private lenders. And you know, what type of you know problems you know could arise, and what type of risks could be present because you know they're not they don't necessarily have um, the same risk profile. Um, and yeah. a, a, a typically more aggressive um, tolerance for risk than a, a bank may have, or a bank you know, could even have if they wanted to. Um, so it, it, I think we're in for um, an interesting um, period here. And the next, the, the big macro question related to all of this is, um, what's the immediate effect, and what are the long term effects? Yep. Immediate effect is interest rates are down. 
crypto is up, people are getting out of the financial system in general. Um, whereas a week ago, all of a sudden, you know, CPI was a, just, you know, a little bit still hot a little, and people were saying, you know, maybe we're going to have to have another 50 ba- basis point rate increase mm-hmm. now. I mean, this essentially will have the effect of tightening in the markets because there's liquidity that's going to be pulled back. You know, banks are not necessarily just going to be lending more because of all this. Um, the values of a lot of these banks have dropped. Their stock prices have, mm-hmm. you know, fallen. And in, in, in most, not all cases, this makes me know their prices have actually increased. Um, but it, there's less money in the system and, and spreads have blown out. And we've seen now that they're one of the first times there's an inverse relationship between the 10 year treasury and the 30 year mortgage. The 30 year mortgage has, has increased last week while the 10 year treasury um, has gone down 50 basis points. Um, that means the spreads are widening and, and blowing out. Um, it's because the the banks are pricing in more risk to the system. Um, and now the forward curve on Fed funds rates and interest rates has come down, um, potentially Wait. seeing rates drop near the end of this year again. Last week on the Gray Report, Matt, we were talking about there's yep. no way that could ever happen. Um, yep. And I, I still think probably not, but who knows? It's li- lit- literally... Well... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. And, oh, no, you you're you were totally right. Who knows? There, I... I have listened. I was hoping you might. You're like, no, I mistakes, and everyone is predicting a different or is suggesting uh, that the Fed takes a different direction. Some people say it's great they bailed everyone out, but keep the interest rates high. Some people say let's bring the interest rates low, but we should regulate. We should regulate more. There is so many different solutions. Um, or, or so, I put that in, in very big scare quotes, and it's going to be really interesting because I think there is there is a little bit of a point to to another uh, a real bold move would be another 0.5% basis point increase to really because the same emotions that are covering a bank run is kind of the same emotions that keep people spending more and more when when it comes to inflation so if we can keep those emotions in check with a 0.5 like i'm still committed then um then that might make things really interesting but it, but the other thing is and, and like i'm all for a little bit lower rates because um, I think that the, all the interest rate, all the inflation that we've been seeing, I don't trust someone that says let's raise rates unless they are taking shelter out of their CPI inflation calculations, because that really drove everything. And we'll, yeah. we'll kind of get to that. But, yeah. If I think, I think I'd agree with you if their basis is, if they're saying we need to, um, increase rates because of just because of CPI alone, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll, I'll give, I'll give you maybe a devil's advocate to that in an argument mm-hmm. why they should raise rates 50 basis points and then a completely unfounded um conspiracy <laughs> theory has no basis yeah. or it's behind it okay so case for the basis points time to just like take you know take this whole the economy take inflation behind the shed put a bullet mm-hmm. in it yeah it's it, it's on its knees got to do a finishing move just get it over with let's get this pain over 50 basis points you know the it's going to make the dollar very strong. It's going to cause shock waves. There's going to be pain. We it could send us into recession. Mm-hmm. That could be horrible. That could be exactly what the economy needs. I don't know. I, I'm just that. It's a possibility. Conspiracy theory. Yep. That's right. everything you said, man. <laughs> yeah. The, the investor class, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, the, everyone that, that's that's paying attention to interest rates because they've been addicted and their business models are. Uh, completely yep. based upon free 
money, low interest rates, and may have millions, billions of dollars at the on the line that if rates aren't lower by the end of this year, they're going to lose. Get yeah. millions, billions, I don't know, trillions across the economy. Mm-hmm. Feeling the pain, making it nervous. To what lengths would one go to cause, I guess, this create the psychology and the panic to then create the will for the Federal Reserve and the central banks around the world to lower rates and bring back easy money. Now, one could say yeah. you need a recession to really bring rate, rates lower, but if you just want to, you know, I guess ease the pausing and have plateau and just stop the rate hikes, you need some kind of crisis and panic. Mm-hmm. The central banks, the federal government, they don't, they, they, they're going to, they act in a crisis and they overreact in a crisis. And often yep. the case when they, when they overreact, you know, the economy can start to recover, or at least the stock market, maybe not the economy, but the stock market it starts to come back. Um, because, you know, once the federal reserve starts pushing, um, on the gas, you know, that, that just so much adds so much fuel to, um, the fire. So I don't, you know, so between yeah. these banks and then it's really the credit Suisse piece as well, um, <laughs> the Swiss bank. Essentially, is being bailed out with I think fifty four billion dollars from the Swiss central bank or, or, or Swiss government. Essentially, um, that's causing the European central bank um, to only raise their interest rate um, by twenty five basis points. Again, not bad on anything, but certainly there is the there, there's motive. But yeah. uh, whose but pain I, is it? And are those are the people who are feeling the most pain likely to take a Federal Reserve out? A Federal Reserve official out to dinner. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just saying there, there's there's been there's a lot of people out there that would really like to have interest rates be lower. And how do we create at least the perception, if not actual, you know, an actual crisis, but at least the perception of a crisis to get rates to come down? Again, yeah. I like I don't think that actually happened because I don't think that like that much coordination can actually go on. Um, and there's not like a dark smoking, you know, smoky room out yeah. there. But um. I don't know. It, can we have fun with conspiracies? That's a good. This, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I'm yeah, saying there's motive. I, I like it. I, don't, I like there's it. No evidence, but yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so okay, let's get it. Let's talk a little bit more about inflation and yes, our rates going to go up or going to go down again. I mm-hmm. mean, people's livelihoods and investments are on the line. Um, and again, fast forward to the Yardy Matrix report that there are a lot of folks counting on rates to be lower by the end of this year. Probably not. But as a couple of days ago, maybe Matt. But let's yeah. look at at least the CPI and the PPI. CPI being consumer price index, and the mm-hmm. PPI, the producer price index. Recently, both came out. This is what the Fed. Some, some. I mean, the Fed's also looking at PCE. But let's look at inflation. Yeah. I can the give consumer you a, and then in the producer, Matt. A quick, yeah, a quick rundown on the consumer side. Um, inflation came us. in at about the the expected rate um no lower or higher um however there is it is still elevated um it's six percent year over year um five percent five point six percent for core inflation which excludes food and energy the month over month inflation is at 0.4 percent still pretty elevated but it is down from 0.5 uh growth the previous month core inflation was up 0.5 percent which is a little higher than 0.4 uh, percent last month still fairly elevated especially if you look at the month over month numbers um but not not going crazy still it's not going away as fast as i would like it 
I sure did like a couple months ago when the inflation numbers showed 0.1% month-over-month growth. We're headed down. Prices aren't declining very quickly. So what's bringing and keeping inflation up? It is shelter. I just said before, I'm not going to, I refuse to entertain an inflation uh, discussion without someone bringing up shelter and why they think maybe uh, that shelter should or shouldn't be part of it. Because I think it's a big part of it. And it's a, uh, it's a little bit of a, a lot of it of a lagging indicator. Um, rent of primary residence is up 8.8% year over year. And it is up 0.8% month over month, a little bit more than previous than the previous month's 0.7% monthly increase. Uh, this is a, I don't know when it's going to start falling, but the rate at which shelter falls is not going to be instantaneous. So it'll be a slight decrease in shelter inflation, slight decrease in shelter inflation until we get back to normal. But it's not, it's, it's not going to be very quick because of the way that they calculate shelter, they just don't move that quickly. Um, so yes, even if it starts going, going down, we will still have shelter, um, I think unfairly, keeping the, uh, the nominal inflation rate up. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Also, eggs are down. Just in time for Easter, eggs are down. Make your soufflés, make your meringues, uh, your, make your frozen custards. Great. <laughs> Thanks for that reporting, Matt. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> no, um, it, it, it's true. I mean, shelter is still up, um, you know, 8% essentially a year unadjusted over the last 12 months. Other other items that are also up, Matt, that are a little more volatile. That's why I think out of core, you know, gasoline um, is up uh, month over month, but down year over year. Um, as well as um, transportation services um, that are up one point one percent over the month and fourteen point six percent for the year. So there are some other pieces, but I, I believe transportation services. I mean, they're much smaller um, rating than um, shelter and um energy unless we're looking at core um so i guess i don't have the full breakdowns right here but um but yeah i to your point matt if um shelter was looked at through a different lens um and and it's debatable whether this is the right one or not um it would be looking at much more subdued growth and it could appear that this could be the beginning of a downward trend of inflation or that is at least um more or less the narrative and i, I think that allows us to transition to the PPI report that was released yesterday. Um, PPI is a producer price index. This is what, you know, manufacturers, what, what, what's, what is costing them. And, um, the headline is that the producer price index for final demand decreased 0.1% in February seasonally adjusted. Um, the U S Bureau of labor, uh, uh, Bureau of labor and statistics reported Final demand prices advanced 0.3% in January as they adjusted it and declined 0.2% in December. So this PPI report, Matt, is a little bit for, more forward-looking than CPI. As you could imagine, the goods ha- have to be, the goods and services have to be kind of produced before they can be consumed. Yeah. And um, so this would be, this is potential good news for um, those looking for um, lower interest rates sooner um, because of lower inflation print, giving the Federal Reserve some room to actually at least plateau, um, if not actually lower rates at some point. Um, but they're going to need to panic like we're in right now, Matt, I, in yeah. addition to lower inflation to actually lower rates. If not, they're just going to mm-hmm. keep where they are. I don't see them do anything yeah. but plateauing until 
there's some real, real pain. Yeah, it is interesting looking at that producer, the the PP guy uh, charts, and you can track it from really from June. Now they start uh, the Fed started their rate hikes around March, I think, and then it stayed pretty steady, and then from June to now, um, steadily decreasing the uh, the prices there. I uh, it seems like a much more accurate picture and a much and and like you hear about these and then you hear about the tech layoffs, but but there's other elements of demand that that were going down, um, and I think that this is a really is a really accurate reflection of it that uh, that maybe shouldn't be ignored. But I'm not sure, you know, what Powell if Powell listens to if there's a new PP it was a PCE that that's coming out. I'll have to I'll have to keep my eyes open for that. Yep, I'm sure I know. Um, yeah, no, Matt, I I still think that you know there is a um, window for you know the so somewhat soft landing or you know that we can get through this and things not be um, not too horrible at, at the end of the day. I mean, there's going to be some pain, um, but it might be um, reasonably well isolated and, and contained um, because you do see things kind of gradually moving back to normal, um, but. Again, like you know, a wrench getting caught up in some of the gears of the economy right now, just shut you know, basically um, locking everything up could you know send us downward, and then all of a sudden we could be in, in an actual like deflationary environment and yeah, and and have the opposite problem. Um, but in that case, that 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 would allow the Fed to um, lower rates once again, and yeah. maybe all of a sudden we're going to be back in some weird new 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 normal of well it's going to be like 2014 yeah. all over again well yeah <laughs> well so and this is what's what i'm kind of thinking you know and this is only just in the tech sector but this that that area was maybe more sensitive to interest rate increases than um than other areas of the economy and maybe if if these uh high interest rates remain uh you know they kind of persist then it will spread but laying off people is uh is a cost yet it to because you're not you're gonna have to spend time to retrain if you want to rehire those those people back you're gonna have to waste some time not waste but still spend money and time retraining yeah. all those people and to just and to let them go i actually heard um before her and this this article is quickly steamrolled by other news of layoffs but i heard about some companies were actually retaining a little bit more talent because they didn't want to have to fire and then rehire again um but largely these companies at least in the tech sector are buyers on the larger scale, and um, and they're not they're not thinking about rehiring. They're they they're no, they're they're, 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 they're trimming down I, I, exactly. I think Meta announced uh, laying off another ten thousand employees um, this week. Matt, um, I, I, you're a- absolutely correct. Now, what I keep hearing um, anecdotally is that you know these folks that are being laid off in the tech industry. They're either able to find new jobs in the tech industry, um, or they they are in general just um, very um, sought after, maybe outside yeah, of the I, tech industry, and, because and, all of a sudden everyone's like, "Oh yeah, you you were a software en- engineer for Google." Well, you know, every company has some sort of tech, technology, software needs these days. Like, we, yeah, we'd love to hire you. Yeah, the the so. tech worker, the tech roles in non tech companies. I wasn't. I was more thinking about like these examples of these businesses that see, okay, I want. Uh, I'm going to spend less. If if we see these sensitive to interest rate increases, yeah, they have businesses, to. Yeah, they're like, okay, let's get lean. Are 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 other businesses elsewhere in the economy going to say, all right, I have to tighten my belt too? And I'm, I'm sure it's already happening. 
It is. You, you're, you're, you're right, Matt. It's, hap- it's going to happen in every industry right now because people are dealing with um, not only pressure from valuation, valuations like that the tech industri- industry is feeling and interest rates. They are no longer having just free money to support just a massive and bloated workforce, but there's inspen- expense inflation, um, specifically bringing it back to multifamily and real estate. I mean, and, and I wrote a, a LinkedIn post that covered some of this recently, Matt, but it's You've got payroll that's up, insurance is up, property taxes are going to go up, but they haven't already. Um, you know, interest expense if you're on a floating rate mortgage is also gone up. Turn costs are up, repair and maintenance, paint, everything. Expenses are up across the board in that period, the last two quarters of negative rent growth nationally, unless you're in a market like Indianapolis or somewhere in the Midwest that we're going to talk about here in a minute. But even in those markets, it's been tough. Occupancy nationally across the board has decreased one to 400 basis points. So your NOI is lower. Your cap rates, the valuation is the market sentiment in interest rates. There's relativity between or correlation between interest rates and cap rates to some degree. And we're seeing that cap rates are higher. Valuations are lower. It, it's like super simple math. NOI divided by cap rate gives you your value. Your value is lower and, mm-hmm. and it's kind of exponential and you're you know, numerator denominator, they're, they're going the wrong direction. So if you want to get even close to bring your value back into range, you know, you can't really change your cap rate. That's the market. The one thing you can, you, you can only affect demand so much. I mean, you can add value um, to your property. All of your expenses are up to do that though. It's the one thing you can try to control is expenses. Yeah. Um, and so that that's, there's a huge push in the, the property management world right now that we are somewhat new to. We've been doing it for less than a year. Um, but we're like, you know, we, we're in the deep end right now, digging through it, which is a great time because we also like are building it, our systems in a time where we have to be very late, you know, um, and we have to use a lot of technology and we have the thing about centralization from the get go. But a lot of my time right now, Matt, is is spent on thinking about how we can do things more efficiently. Um, I walked by, but also, but meetings. also better. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, I, I'm that's the, more efficiently, but also yeah. provide, how do we provide like a significantly better service all at the same time? Yeah, yeah. And and I think that there's a lot of opportunity. Um, it is a little bit uh, uh it's a little bit of cruel irony that a lot of prop tech companies were kind of caught up in these recent bank collapses, and yeah. they could maybe provide that service and help people to uh to get leaner on their expenses and and deliver still deliver excellent service. But, um, you know, someone made a bad bet on interest rates and that's not helping. Yeah. Well, and, you know, my interview with um, Paul Bergeron, you know, he just wrote mm-hmm. a piece on, on that, on that exactly where he was looking at some of the um, not only exposure like from my signature bank to investing in commercial real estate, but all these prop tech companies had their accounts at Silicon Valley Bank. And, um, you know, it was, it was a, it was a concern for a lot of those organizations. Um, yeah. Well, Matt, let's, I want to talk about, um, something that is, had been a somewhat reoccurring theme in in our conversations. Um, and if you had, if you had to ask me, you know, Spencer, what should, what type of apartments are the best to invest in? What, at what class, A, B, C, D, value add corpus, you know, what's, what's the best? You can only, you can only pick one. If I had to choose one to be solid B class apartments, Mm -hmm. um, there are times where I love A-class assets. All price and returns are relative, right? Um, there are times where I think workforce housing, C-plus, makes a lot of sense. Paying the location market, 
market cycle, all that stuff. Um, but B, like again, relative to a decent price, um, is just right smack dab in the middle of demographic um, demographics moving around. Yeah, and economics moving around. You're always got people coming up and down through the economy. Um, you can't build them for the price that you're buying it for. Mm-hmm. And what um, Carl Whitaker's from Real Page article is talking about today is the premium, the Class A apartments command over Class B apartments. It's twenty eight percent premium, but that's actually way much smaller. Yeah, than it used to be, Matt. What yeah, I, I I took issue with the word commanding, but but that's about the only bad thing about this article. Um, a lot of great information. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and it, it also emphasizes like the, yeah, the fact that when you're building new apartments, you're not building the B class, you're building the new nicer apartments. Um, I, I, I think it's still prohibitively, prohibitively expensive to move an apartment building from one city to another city. But I, I have been thinking about this and a lot of, uh, and a lot of these reports that came in on the multifamily market touched on supply. Um, within a specific market, I can at least imagine somewhere on one side of the town thinking maybe they'll move 20 minutes away because rents are a little bit cheaper. Um, it, there's a little bit of push-pull. So I think that market a market-specific ap- apartment supply, if you're building a lot of A units, then the then that gap between the A and B gets a little bit smaller. Um, but especially within the specific submarkets, and he does have that uh, submarket information in in the uh, in the real page article. In talking about um, some of the markets specific, or the I'm sorry, some of the sub markets that are getting the most supply, and yes, Sunbelt is uh, seems like it's uh, seems like it's leading, and for for a lot of these markets, DFW, um, we have Charlotte, Phoenix, Nashville, Austin, um, they're all they're all adding a, a good deal of of apartments to their supply, and um, and there it does seem like they have the smallest gap between A and B class apartments. Yeah, it was really interesting graph. And I, and I haven't seen this specific um, like topic looked into in this way. So props to the RealPage team and, and Carl um, Whitaker put this together. Um, Carl was a guest on The Great Report not too long ago. Um, appreciate having him on. Hope he comes on again. Maybe we can get him to talk about this. But yeah, Matt, so the metrics that they're looking for, especially for the folks listening on mm-hmm. the podcast, is percentage of inventory under, under construction. Yeah, number of units under construction, and then the percent gap between Class A and Class B rents, and then they also have, which this is really cool, because they talked about like how many conce- how much concessions would a Class A property have to give mm-hmm. to kind of be a par with Class B rent, and so the other metric for these submarkets are weeks free for Class A rent to equal Class B rent, and you know for just the top of the list. Um, and th- this this could be a, be a fascinating case study, uh, but you know in uh, McKinley, uh, Texas, uh, submarket of Dallas Fort Worth, um, the percentage of multifamily apartments inventory under construction is twenty three point four percent, nearly a quarter of the with current inventories being built right now. I believe forty percent. I, I think I saw somewhere else in the support map has just been built over the last couple of years. To put this into context. The, if you expand to a full market, and like you can get these crazy things because they're focusing on a single submarket, and these are all really, uh, really active submarkets. Uh, to put it in context, a single a single market would be it would be crazy if they got over uh three over four percent 
and we're talking start the low be, end. Yeah, high. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. on the low end on this is like 14%. Yeah. And it, yeah, it, 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 exactly. Um, the, the, I mean, they have 7,172 units uh, under construction. In Indianapolis, we have around 5,000. I mean, this is a like, you know, suburb of, of Dallas. Now, I will say what's not on here is the employment growth and the population growth mm -hmm. of yep. uh, McKinney, Texas. It's nuts. Um, I know developers, some investors investing in this area. I mean, it, it's, it's, I mean, all the corporate headquarters, all the, I mean, there's jobs. It, it, there's a reason for all of this. Um, but the difference between, this is why, again, if you could have bought a B-class apartment complex in McKinney, Texas, and it was below market rents, I'm sure what they were at one point, if there were, they're probably only a handful of market, you know, um, you know, older vintage apartments. I'm sure there are some, but not that many because not that many people were living out there mm -hmm. 10 years ago. Um, but the gap between A and B class rents is zero to 2%, basically no gap. And there's yeah. only one week. So a, a class, so a class apartment only has to give one week of concessions to basically be on par with the B class. There's a lot to unpack there, Matt. Yeah, it's it is. It, it illustrates how much I think maybe A class falls to meet B class, and 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 how much B class really. I mean, for that well, gap. Well, that's that's the question. Has it is it the A class has fallen recently, or is it the B class in McKinney has been able to rise so much? Because a lot of this is. Um, you know, think about the value add business strategy. Yeah. The general thesis. My rents are a thousand dollars. The class A stuff's fifteen hundred dollars. I'm gonna move rents three hundred dollars to bring a you know, leave a two hundred dollar um gap um between class us and the class A. Um, but you know, what if all of a sudden you can get you see a lot of growth in a market like McKinney just keep pushing rents? Um, there's so much demand, um, closer and closer and closer to class a at the same time all this class a is being delivered and they can't get any rent growth in class a although they probably have um, yeah, i'm sure it's meeting in the middle but the, the first thing i, I that's thought my of, point. yeah 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 i thought maybe it was a and then at a certain point you need an apartment and and there's it's probably like a blurry line obviously it would yeah. be talking about such a small margin but uh, i do think that you know at a certain point it's like well you know we're I know that I know that this class B apartment's expensive, but we need somewhere to live, and um, and that might be a decision that any a, a tough decision that renters are, are having to make there, um, between those two. My my I guess my my argument for why it's it's well, maybe more the B's have risen mm -hmm. more than A's have lowered is because we have seen a lot of rent growth in the class A segment the past couple of years, Matt, two thousand twenty, two thousand twenty one, two thousand twenty two, ton of growth in class A. You know you I know you know because. <laughs> we talk about it every week, but look at the look at this chart here. It shows the difference really declining between 2019, 2022. Um, yeah. I, I and what else is again? Again, what else has been going on? It's everyone and their mother's syndicator um, doing value add deals, and you know, improving the properties and making the units closer to luxury and class A. But we mm -hmm. all know a 1960s vintage with granite countertops and LVT flooring, while it does look much better than the original um it is not your 2023 class a community with the you know rockstar fitness center and yeah pool and whatever else like it, it like it's never going to be that it's sort yeah. of close but 
now all of a sudden is the gap too narrow. Carl, you know, Carl again, the headline, I, not, I wouldn't say it's completely misleading, um, but I think you're I think maybe right, Matt, to take issue with commanding um, because it's really that gap. The headline to me is the gap has narrowed over the yeah, past several yeah. years. I, and I also wonder what the definition of class A and class B is and what if there are key features or or, it, or, or if they take, if it's just year of vintage that, that they're kind of going by. Or so I'd, I'd really love to know um, because I'm sure it's a very blurry line that fades in and fades out. Um, yeah, and, and, so close. and it's always depending on, you know, who you ask Some people, you know, give it a vintage year. Some people say it's the location. Some people say it's mm -hmm. the income. Some people say it's the rent. Some people say it's, you know, a variety of those factors. Um, and, and there's certainly, certainly not in, you know, Webster's, um, dictionary. That's for sure. Although a lot of people have descriptions here or there, Matt, um, look, this is getting right into this um, report. Apartments.com publishes February, 2023 rank growth report released on CoStar, um, this is beginning, we've seen this theme repeat now, Matt, for the last couple of weeks. We've got three reports back to back that all are under, underlining Midwest strength. Yeah. Um, and you can't argue it. <laughs> what, what did I... We've been saying I, it, but yeah, no, yeah. not the... Yeah, but I mean, uh, let me put it this way. For the last, since I've been you know, raising capital and doing multifamily deals, really kind of the last, called seven years or so, um, I've, I, many times have I talked about the resilience of the Midwest and Indianapolis and how Indianapolis's economy is relatively recession resilient. I never like to say recession proof because nothing's recession proof, but like very resilient. It's an overused phrase. People talk about it all the time, mm. but now, I remember 2008, again, not recession proof, but fared fairly well compared to all other markets. I've had the COVID, the pandemic, and now we've had whatever we're in right now. And Indianapolis is number one. Yeah, year-over-year rent growth across I mean, not multiple only... sources in the Midwest in general. Yeah, you know, is on the top, in the top five. Take a look at the top markets for rent growth in this CoStar report, and then there's another Yardy Matrix report uh, out this week, and be disabused of the notion that the Gray report overvalues the Midwest. Yeah, we're uh, just report, man. We're just bringing. We're just yeah. reporting the facts here. This, um, is, this is straight facts. Indianapolis, Chicago, Cincinnati, Columbus, Cleveland, Kansas City. Um, they're all highly ranked um, in either the CoStar, Yardy Matrix, or both. Um, a lot of them really is both. Um, and it's what is what is interesting. And, you know, we have been, yeah, praising the Midwest, but we're not really, even when times are bad, we don't we don't suffer the huge swings um, like many Sunbelt markets are suffering right now. Yeah, it's not like Indianapolis is usually at the you know the bottom of the list. Usually, we're kind of um, just above the national average, you know, you know, from all you know KPIs and growth metrics, and then we kind of fluctuate, you know, up into the middle of the pack, maybe down, and then all of a sudden, in times of crisis, um, it seems like we always float to the top. Yeah, um, so the, just, the average, the average is really in the the, the average is really good. Um, yeah, I, this I is so. this graph is super blurry. I don't, I don't know why CoStar put this uh, look while it was yeah, I, on on here, I, I agree. I had to I had to find another source for the for that specific uh for that specific yeah. graph that that I used for the the newsletter. Um, but for the um overall national numbers, their year over year rent growth is at two point nine percent, and they also have a small but significant 0.15 percent month over month rent increase that follows um another last month's uh 
0.4% monthly rent growth. So they are actually arguing that maybe this is a sign of positive momentum in uh, as we approach peak renting season. And uh, I think that it is a good sign because the co-star numbers, now that 2.9% is relatively low. Um, we track a lot a lot of different rent, rent reports and CoStar is among the lower uh, lower rent growth in terms of what they report as their as their national average. Um, and also, uh, along with that kind of low nominal number, is the trends for CoStar a lot more sluggish, a lot smoother, less squiggly and volatile than in the other um, than some of the other reports. So the fact that they have two consecutive months of rent growth really is uh, could be a strong sign of uh, of future rent growth in the months to come as we approach peak renting season. I mean, man, not to beat a dead horse, but I mean, do you see in Indianapolis pull away month over month by market in February? 1.2% yeah. growth versus the next top is Boston at 0.9%. Um, that, that's, that, that is, um, again, just, it's surprising. It the, margin, the margin between us and Boston is, is, almost the, uh, is almost double the actual rent growth average for the nation. Yeah. Yeah, fascinating. Um, and and the Sun Belt highlights week rental market. Um, and, and this is to say that things have not been easy in Indy. Mm-hmm. And, and like so now, I'm there. It's been a challenge, and we've seen demand decrease without a doubt. We've seen occupancy drop without a doubt. Um, expenses have risen, um, but I can only imagine what it's like in other parts of the country, Matt. Yeah, and um, and both in this report and in the report from Yardy Matrix. The idea is that we are having uh, that there's a little bit more of a mo- moderate demand. Demand has moderated. It's not, you know, down, but it it's now it now can't punch through any new supply that comes online. So we have so in those situations, some of these markets that are seeing a lot of new supply plus the demand wasn't already, you know, gangbusters. Those are the ones that uh, that are seeing maybe rent dips. I still think that Miami is it's had. It has. It is one of the Sun Belt success stories that has not had this whiplash effect that uh, that some of the other places have had. It's getting a lot of supply and it's doing great in terms of rent growth. There's like nothing you could do. <laughs> I, I I agree. Miami is a you know not only a fun place to go and visit. People like to live there. It's also very tax friendly. And I think there's some some supply constraints. You know they're not as building nearly some of those other big boom Sun Belt metros, Matt, as we've mm-hmm. noted. Um, and they've yeah. really kind of uh, moderate. You've really been able to kind of stay ahead of it and continue to um, perform. And not every market in Florida has continued to outperform, um, mm-hmm. Matt. But I just I got to stay on the Midwest. You oh, know, totally. Switch uh, switching, uh, switching over to the Yardy Matrix report since you brought it up. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this is this is a quote from the Yardy Matrix report um, for February. Um, both family report says mean quote midwhile. Low volatility Midwest metros in Indianapolis with 9% growth, Kansas City 7.9% growth have cycled to the top in part because they remain inexpensive and have not increased inventory as much as their high growth Sun Belt peers. Um, New York and Chicago are also displaying resiliency as attractive cultural centers where people want to live, if not work. Um, so uh, it's again, as an investor in the Midwest, this is all. Um, great to see with the Midwest claiming three of the top five spots in the matrix top 30 Metro list for year over year rank growth. Again, I mentioned Indianapolis, Kansas city, Chicago, 
um, also on that list. Um, and so even from just on a, again, a month over month basis as well, we're seeing a lot of Midwestern markets, um, do, um, quite well. Yeah. The, um, it's also interesting kind of looking at the lower end of the, uh, of the rent growth, uh, of the rent growth lists, both for CoStar and for Yardy Matrix. Now Yardy Matrix has, um, Let's see. I, I, I'm just going to look at for month over month. They have Las Vegas, Seattle, San Jose, Phoenix, Orange County on the lower end for their month over month. And then for their year over year, it's Las Vegas, Phoenix, Austin, Atlanta. Um, a lot of those are the ones that are getting new supply. Some of them, it doesn't it's not like perfectly correlated with the amount of supply that they're uh, that they're building. And so that that makes me think that a good portion of this rent slowdown is this kind of counter reaction from the runaway. Uh, rent increases a couple years ago in many of those markets, um, and Yardi has a, an excellent um, and an, an excellent chart at the at the end of their report where they measure the amount of construction that is uh, forecast, or I'm sorry, the completions as percentage of total stock, and also their year over year rent growth. And um, you can you can draw a rough correlation, but it's not perfectly correlated when it comes to new supply and the rent growth. Um, is this the chart you're looking at, Matt, looking at employment and supply trends with forecast rent growth? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, ex exactly. So just as you said, I like looking at, you know, what the jet job growth is and then, mm -hmm. so that's, so that's an indication of potential future demand, creating jobs. People want to move into where those jobs are, um, typically leading population growth. And then what supply look like? How much are we completing as a percentage of total stock? And then, all right, taking that together, maybe let's look at maybe where rents are going to go. And then where are we year over year in terms of rent? Again, Indianapolis with 9% um, rent growth year over year. They're forecasting 3%. Um, job growth is forecasting. It's all the six-month moving average as of December 22, 2.5%. Then completions as a percent of total stock as of February 23rd, 0.7%. So good demand, Matt. Low supply. It's a good recipe for success, um, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, the downside to the, those numbers, again, just um, picking on Indianapolis now, is you know, the job growth while positive. And, you know, let's see, I'm not sure if they have the average or not. I don't have the average here, um, but probably just at the average, maybe even below average, um, you know, compared to New York, which is, you know, 5% job growth um, or any Dallas, which I believe is topping the list at 6.5% job growth. But that is also relative to, you know, supply completion, percent mm -hmm. total stock. Dallas is delivering, you know, 2% versus Indianapolis 0.7 or a market such as Denver with only three and a half year of year job growth, building at 3.8% completions as a percent of total stock yeah. compared to get to Indies two and a half and a 0 0.7. Yeah. Um, the, the big pullout uh, and, and I'll, I'm, I'll pick on Austin now, <laughs> now that we're done with Indianapolis is they're building 4.9, uh, the leader of the new supply coming online. And they're the third lowest when it comes to rent growth. Even though they have five percent of job uh, yeah. job growth, which is among the leaders of, in this list, um, their their rent growth is suffering. I think because all of that new supply coming online, um, Indianapolis is actually the third lowest, at, at least as far as I as far as I have sorted this list in my head here. Third lowest when it comes to the amount of completions of the percentage of total stock. And yeah. two point five is nothing to you know. It's it's not the worst year. Steady um, Eddie, Matt. Steady yeah. Eddie, you know. You know, steady, slow and steady wins the race, all, all that stuff. 
Hey, one other thing. Again, I love, I love, um, I love uh, these yardy reports because they, they just they they have just some different metrics that mm-hmm. others don't have that I like to keep track on. One always, Matt, is the rent to income ratios as of January 2023. Um, we focus on this decent amount, but um, come at the top. Um, all just look at all all units. Um, they also break it down lifestyle. Again, you were talking about definition of class A, class B. Here it's lifestyle units, renters by necessity. Maybe a better way to look at it. Um, mm-hmm. CoStar's got a star rating. Anyway, Sacramento, 42.9%. Rent income ratio, Matt. 42% wow. of your income on average. And average is, you know, is, is average best, should be median. Anyway, 40% of your income going to your rent um, should be closer to 30. Anything over 30 is rent burden, so they say. Um, the next is LA, 33%. Now back to Sacramento though, the renters by necessity, that's the people who like don't have an option, have to rent, can't buy a home. That's a lot of California. That's a lot of people in general right now. 59%, 60% of their income yeah. just about is going to rent. Wow. How's rent control working out for you? Sacramento? Yeah. It's like double. It's double. It is almost double the life. Well, more than double the lifestyle units, 29.1 renter by necessity, 59.5. That's such a stark difference. Matt, you can only have 10 rounds in your magazine. You can't have all the features and you're going to pay 6% of your income. Yeah. You get beaches, you get mountains, you get good weather. That's uh, that's it's pretty stark. And in, in, in Sacramento is not really leading. <laughs> it's not really leading in, in terms of rent growth. I haven't really, it, it wasn't. It's been pretty well, I think, the pandemic because yeah. everyone's in the Bay Area, but. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you can imagine a lot of places are kind of around that 30% mark. Um, just a handful are above Inland Empire, Baltimore, Orlando, Orange County, Washington, DC, Los Angeles. Matt, these are a lot of markets that have some degree of rent control, if you believe it or yeah. not. I don't think Orlando does, Tampa does, although Orlando actually may. I know they were discussing. Oh, yeah. That was part of the discussion. Yeah. Maybe, I don't think it was, maybe it's just a discussion. Um, Let's go to the bottom now. There's a lot of places in the middle. Affordability, which um, this Yardy report cites affordability. Um, Indianapolis affordability is a major driver um, for a reason why it is attracting so many people and so many renters. Um, Kansas City, only 24.6% on average um, of the of your rent to income ratio. Indianapolis, 25.2%. Um, Austin, surprisingly, Matt, is yeah. not that bad. Twenty five point nine percent. That's actually Miami. Not so. Yeah, Miami's not, pretty not good. Not so bad either. That's. Do you think that just... that's? Do you think that's the issue with average? Do you think because like you've got um like is there a high concentration of like billionaires like like the Elon Musk moved to Austin and like you take the average and so they're like oh everyone's good. Yeah, I wonder if there's a in Miami, Miami same thing kind of thing. Yeah. It 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 is interesting. Um, I think that that the fact that Miami. Now this is in another report, but uh, the fact that Miami is has not permitted as many housing units per capita as some of these other markets that may play into it. But uh, uh, Austin's another thing entirely. You know, you you'd think that it wasn't an affordable housing market um, if you were just looking at the amount of rent growth that they're that they're having. I mean, it's a growing, very actively growing city, and um, 
yeah, it's it, yeah. it's just it's interesting to get that reminder that you know the no. the renders by necessity you know um, column does tell a little bit different story. I mean, Austin's at twenty eight percent, which is a little bit higher, still under thirty. But Miami, though, um, it, it's the big difference between yeah. the renders by necessity and by choice, where it's thirty six percent for renders by necessity. So it's a really tale of two cities versus the renders by choice twenty three percent. Um, so you know twenty three point nine percent, incredibly low. Um, yeah, you know, so I think it, there's a bit, there's a lot of money in my I, Miami, and then again, I, I don't know if that's everything, but that certainly could be part of it. Yeah, you don't. It, only L.A. and Sacramento that we've already discussed. Only L.A. and Sacramento have a higher percentage of income for renters by necessity that they're paying on their apartment rents. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Big All right, gap. Matt. Just to continue our theme of Midwest appreciation. And this is not to come across as like a, like a victory laugh, but we're just reporting the news um, as, as it comes across. Objectively, this is this is as objective as it gets. <laughs> but if like no one talk, I go to the I go go to these conferences, Matt. No one talks about the Midwest. Like no one talk, like go to these national apartment conferences. You go to the NMHC strategic you know strategies conference. Like it's you know thirty minutes on the Sun Belt. You know, mm-hmm. 10 minutes on a coast, 10 minutes on another coast, 10 minutes on the mountain West. And then like one, you know, then they're like in the Midwest exists now onto, and like they mentioned, yeah. they talk about Chicago mm-hmm. and they're like, and these other markets exist, but we're going to, we're going to move on to talk about the Sun Belt just a second time. And part of me is like, Hey, you forgot something. We exist. And, yeah. but the other part of me is like, you know, sitting around going back like this, looking like hey, if no if no one knows about it, that's, yeah, that's fine. And and, and More deals uh, yeah, for us exactly. The numbers don't lie, and uh, yeah, and that's another thing that that has populated our conversation is the the investment interest. Maybe slightly less liquidity in like it versus a gateway market, but um, it's not as competitive, and you can get a little bit higher cap rate sometimes for equivalent cash flow. But yeah. maybe if the secret's a lot, out, a lot, a lot of the um, people complaining about liquidity in the Midwest were are, were probably customers of SVB and Signature Bank. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, Globe Street Midwest apartment rent growth outpaces other regions. Um, this article is featuring a handful of markets, um, especially Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City has seen the nation's fastest metro level rent growth over the past twelve. Months. That's a different story than we read about Indianapolis, but still good news for the Midwest. Matt, what say you? Yeah, I, uh, I, I say this article right before we did this too. So <laughs> I'm sorry that I'm asking you about it. No, what I'm what I'm googling is I didn't know that apartment list had. They must have released their uh, their monthly rent report. This uh, oh, okay. this is last month's. They're talking about last month's uh, rent report. So we've already covered that. I was just covering my basis. They're last. Um, Ahead of their covering yeah. their apartment month. Or, yeah, yeah. Covered, we have their data. <laughs> um, I you know, it, it is it is more of the same. And it's it's interesting to see to see this attention. And I I do Matt, I, are you worried that we're moving the narrative? Well, and that's the thing too. Does, like, does I, the gray report have an outsized I'm I'm asking this meta question here. Do we have an outsized influence on the multifamily media? Uh yeah, well, yes, yes, and yes. It's a lot, um, a lot of power, is a lot of responsibility. Um, but it's we, only. We, but it, I'm asking this: Have we been pushing the Midwestern narrative, and have we like? Because I'm not just saying this, but like we have been maybe talking about this to some of these our, our authors and journalists. 
That's true. Well, it, but, but the data, really... the, they're not making, they're not making up the data though. Yeah. Yeah. I the think they were out. dragged. I think they were dragged kicking and screaming to making we're these headlines about the Midwest. Midwest. They're, they're dragging, we've dragged them kicking and screaming. And I think we've highlighted it. Yeah. Of like, look, have you seen this? Like, by the way, did you remember that this happened these past few cases? And they're like, interesting. Let me go back and look at that data. I've never cared to look. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just. Um, is our my, big what, video here at the airport? What I like is that they they seem to be lumping Oklahoma City in the Midwest. Although I'm not, I'm not sure if exact if that's exactly what they mean. They're saying they say Midwestern markets. Are, I don't even know are, what it is, Matt. People don't even know. <laughs> well, I that it is funny. You know, each it seems like uh, every organization has a different view of what of what states make up the Midwest, and um, and then <laughs> there's a map or two somewhere. Yeah, yeah. But sometimes they look Oklahoma City. Maybe it's not it's not south enough to be uh, to be the southwest. It's not west enough to be the west. Um, but Matt, I, yeah, even without it, Indianapolis, Chicago, Columbus, Cincinnati, Kansas City, Milwaukee. That's a those are a, a lot of successful markets. All of the Midwest. And and again, what I want to um, maybe repeat is I don't think that this success is going to take away future success in the same way that the Sun Belt's growth. Uh, a year and a half ago, kind of seemingly took away the growth right now. I don't think we're borrowing against the future as much as we are kind of maintaining uh, a steady growth that uh, that Sunbelt and other hot markets like Boise are reacting to a little bit right now. Yeah, no, I, I think I, I think you're right, Matt. I don't necessarily think that like Indy is now picking up steam as much as it is, is that just, again, it's just the steady Eddie, just linear growth. And we just and, keep trudging along, slow moving turtle. And I and, and this is like I have a handful of stereotypes of, of these rent growth trends that I that after you know we go over these monthly rent reports every every month you know multiple times a month and you see you see different stories like Chicago um and I've talked about this before but Chicago didn't do well and now it's catching back up same thing with New York it is one of the ones that are kind of building up a pool of of rent growth that they didn't have before and yep. where other ones Sunbelt went down Miami that I mentioned before always strong nothing could touch it. Um, but Midwest consistently elevated and steady. And then um, and what I want to avoid and what I'm scared of, but I'm not but I don't think it's going to happen <laughs> is this reaction where Sunbelt was a place like Phoenix was huge a year and a half ago. And then rent growth is now maybe negative uh, month over month yeah. for, for Phoenix. It so, is. Yeah. Well, you want and, and, and from an investment standpoint, I, I'd rather have something where I could predict. I'd rather have something uh, shocking as is something a little bit less volatile than something that's expected that I kind of know what I'm getting um, that is not maybe as sensitive to a splash of new supply. Um, I think these these Midwest markets are are yeah because they're less trendy. It's easier to make kind of a bet on them or an investment on them uh, than it is where, where you may not know uh, whether you're on the upswing or the downswing. Yeah, you know, Matt, we we can't. We don't have control over, you know, who our parents are, you know, or where we where we were born. You know, you and I are both from Indianapolis, and you know, we're both involved in Midwestern real estate, Indianapolis multifamily, but multifamily across the, the Midwest. Um, you know, if we were um, born in in Georgia or in um, Arizona or any other state, you know, it, as long as it was a somewhat conduct conducive market so mar mm -hmm. unlike so unless we're you know in markets like new york or california 
you know, if I had found great capital and you know, we would most likely be working in those markets because those are the markets that you know, we we know. The reason why we yeah. started investing in Indianapolis wasn't because I did an analysis of every market in the United States or the top 10 and decided on Indianapolis. That's what most people do and is a, it's yeah. the right thing to do. But I didn't, I don't know those markets and I know Indianapolis and I did enough research to know that it was a good enough market to start investing. Um, and I was just figuring it out at the time. Um, and so it now, as I have you know, built a career in the real estate industry and multifamily investing, I've come to really understand, you know, why the Indianapolis economy and a lot of the economies in the Midwest, um, are so resilient, um, and, and the character, unique characteristics, and they're not necessarily the best markets, but they have some unique characteristics that are attractive for, um, a conservative cash flowing, um, investment that I think yeah. has, um, outsized return potential because of the mispriced risk in the market, in the capital flowing to the Sunbelt as opposed to some of these Midwestern markets. Um, yeah. So. And, and it could be backfilling my own ideas, my own ideals based on, you know, the features of the, of the market that I was born in and the market that we're already investing in. Yeah. But yeah, that's all good. I also think if I'm looking for new markets, I want to look for one that's a little bit like Indianapolis, kind of an under the radar, consistent, steady performer. Maybe it is on, you know, on the Southeast coast or maybe it's, you know, maybe it's smack dab in the middle of, of South Dakota. Uh, but, if you can find those features of the market that you like, then then that's nice. But I also think, um, and what what you have, maybe you didn't do the analysis, but you had that intimate local knowledge of like the submarkets and um and this experience within yeah. that single market that you can really draw on that that perhaps you know could be a lot more impactful than just knowing what's what's broadly happening in the market in general. Yeah, exactly. Um. All right, Matt, um, let's move to this apartment list piece. And because then I have to, unfortunately, unfortunately, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you, you brought this up. Now, I don't think that we were talking about, uh, this is actually connects a little bit more to, um, to the real page, uh, to some of the real page charts, but, but again, kind of looking at that sub, looking at a sub market. And some of the submarkets in that real page uh, article, they were in you know the the ten thousands or I'm sorry, up, upwards of seven thousand just in one submarket. So you know having that knowledge of which of what neighborhoods are are growing in your in, in your chosen market is really important. But yeah, no, it, it is. Ever, I mean, real estate is always local, and it's not just the state, city. It's it's the neighborhood, and and having that been in, in, um, intimate knowledge can give you an edge. Um, and again, there's no such thing as insider trading in terms of, you know, private real estate. It's having that unique knowledge no one else has that can give you a huge advantage. Yeah. Look at the housing permits, man. Annual yeah, housing yeah. is permanent in the United uh, States. So, so this is a great article, a great breakdown of apartment construction with some information on single family home construction as well. And they rank each market. Um, they have, they have a chart here that's ranking them for home permits per capita. We've seen completions as percentage of current apartment supply, but this home permits per capita um, figure kind of widens the scope a little bit. I think really gives a really nice snapshot of the housing activity in a given market, as well as the balance between okay, are they are they permitting a lot of apartments? Is this is this market really uh, really keen on building single family homes? And all of them are different. Um, you know, just looking at this, a place like uh, Nashville is is permitting one point seven. 
1.7 multifamily units for uh, versus 7.5 single-family homes um, per capita. Now, a place like Austin is, and they lead by far, is permitting 9.6 multifamily units, roughly even a little bit more than the 8.6 single-family homes. You scroll down all the way near the bottom, nearer to the bottom, um, is is Miami Fort Lauderdale, which is permitting 2.2 apartment units and 1.1 single-family homes per capita. Um, clearly near the bottom of the list, definitely not 9.6 or 8.6. You know, there's uh, the variety in the in the character of each of these cities. You could really see it in a in a small figure. It was really, yeah, it was really, and it's just amazing the um, the the big spread. And I'm really surprised again, as you mentioned, but with Miami. Um, markets like uh, Chicago um, and even LA that are really relatively down closer to the bottom, although some of those markets like LA are, are pretty big. So I guess that makes a little bit more sense. Um, but I, I, but Matt, you know, and the guests, you know, a lot of times we're looking at, you know, what's in the, what is currently in the pipeline, you know, what's, what are units mm-hmm. under construction? Um, but this is, you know, more permits. So, so this is really yeah. kind of looking even further out into the future. Um, yeah, so, like that number is going to be smaller. It's not like they're going to build all that, but it's but it it, it is an interesting, I think, uh, gauge of maybe the appetite and what is what is allowed. So maybe there's more government regulatory hurdles in a place like like Miami. Maybe there's just not land available. I know that there's some factor there that is uh, that is kind of squelching supply. I I, I also think um, the the chart that they have they have a little map that you can see how the character of things has changed. Yeah, so an, another thing they have in this, and just to kind of close this off is, um, and I, I would encourage everyone to read the full article, um, but this this animation that they have that shows the amount of housing permits per capita from 1990 to 2022, and you clearly see an increase in housing activity, but you also see the regional increase in places like the Southwest and the Sun Belt and all those popular places. And even actually in, um, you, you can see a, a flare up of, of housing activity in uh, Michigan well, and Wisconsin, too. And, so. and and you see the drought after the financial crisis. I think for me is is yeah. most illustrative. Illustrative, Matt. Incredible report. Uh, just a reminder to everybody that um, you can um, get not only every single video of the, of the Great Report by subscribing to the Great Capital YouTube channel on YouTube, um, but also sign up for the Great Capital newsletter, the Great Report at greatcapitalllc.com/newsletter. Hope everyone has a great rest of the week and catch you on the next episode of The Bear Report.